You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Good morning, church. Now, I'm pumped up after that worship. Amen? You with me? Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you are here today, and I'm so glad to be with you to open up God's Word and allow Him to show us His truth. Pastor Paul has asked me to continue on in our series, so in Real Talk, Sermon on the Mount, turn your Bibles now, Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. You got your Bible. If you don't, there's one in front of you. If you got your iPhone, there's 100 apps. Matthew 5, 38 to 42. And once you get there, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? It says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. Oh God, we come before you now as as your people, Lord, as your church gathered here, Lord, to, to sing to you. Oh God, because you are worthy, because you are good, because you have saved us, oh Lord, and And now we come huddled around your word, Lord, asking, oh God, would you show us who you are? Would you show us how we can serve you better? Oh Lord, would you teach us from the very mouth of Jesus Christ, from the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, would you teach us how we can be more like our Savior? So God, would you meet with us now? God, would you, would you fill this place, O oh Lord? Would, would, as we hear these words, would our ears perk up to hear the words of our Savior? Lord, would our hearts be changed, O oh God, so that we can love you more, and Lord, we can love those around us more as well. Lord, we ask for you to be here. We ask for your presence and your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. Well, here's my question for you this morning. As we, as we just look at ourselves, it's this. Have you ever taken things into your own hands? Has there ever been a situation where you thought, I'm going to take this into my own hands, you know, someone's mean to you, someone says something to you, someone's rude to you, someone disrespects you, and you're like, all right, now it's my turn. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I have hurt feelings. The initial response is often to fight back. The initial response is often to let everyone know that what has been said about us isn't true to let everyone know that what has been said about us just isn't the way it is. And that person who said it needs to know for sure. We want to make ourselves look good at times in those instances. I'm not going to be disrespected. I'll be feared. I want everyone else to know me as a person who is great, and if not great, well then definitely not someone who's embarrassed or made to be different. And right now as I say these things, I mean, maybe in your heart, definitely in mine, you know, some of us are going, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, I've been told my whole life, son, don't let them get the best of you. Don't let them make a fool out of you. Don't let them disrespect you, man. You heard that? If someone says something to you, man, you got to hold your ground. You got to fight back. 
And what we see today in, in Scripture is that to Jesus, this attitude, this heart is just pride. This is an attempt to retaliate, to take vengeance into our own hands, because we think, in that moment anyway, that we deserve better, that we're the greatest thing that's ever graced the surface of this earth. But look at what the text says. Verse 38, it says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And see, God set this law up, and, and Jesus is quoting Scripture. I mean, you go back to Exodus 21, God lays this law out, and it's not that he's saying don't follow Scripture. What he's saying is don't follow what they've made it out to mean, what the Pharisees at the time were saying about this text. God laid out this law in, in the Old Testament really to stop retaliation. That was the whole point of this, uh, to stop people from fighting back against each other. So, you know, put yourself... Thousands of years ago, you know, Israel's wandering the desert and, and someone goes up and, and accidentally or purposely kills someone else's goat, all right? And then that person who now has a dead goat goes, well, I'm going to kill three of your goats. You don't kill my goat. You don't touch my stuff. And God's saying, no, 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 don't, don't do that, you know? Or if someone wounds you, don't, don't, don't do more harm to them. He says, go to a judge. This is what Exodus 21 says. Go to a judge and allow them to adjudicate what is fair, the punishment must meet the crime. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and as it goes on, a limb for a limb, and things like that. So God's setting up this law um, to stop retaliation, right? To stop what was happening. Uh, have you guys ever read the book of Genesis, just cover to cover? Hope so. It's good. If you haven't, this week, take a couple days, a couple chapters every day, read through it. Best book, one of the best books in the Bible. Um, well, there's a story in chapter 4, and, and right after um, Cain and Abel, you remember them, brothers, one of them killed the other one, so Cain killed Abel, and then it lists the descendants of Cain, and, and it kind of goes through, and eventually one of his great-great-grandsons is named Lamech, and there's this interesting little insert right in Genesis 4 there that talks about this obscure guy we never hear about again named Lamech. Lamech says this in Genesis 4, 23 and 24, he says, Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, or however you say their names. Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. You see, what was going on there, the punishment didn't meet the crime. Someone, someone hit him, wounded him, and he's like, yeah, I killed that guy. And not only did he kill him, but he's bragging about it. You think you, can, you think you can disrespect me? You think you can hurt me? Yeah, just watch out. I'm going to punch back three times harder. And this is what was going on. This is what the human heart tells us to do. And, and, and the reality is we look at that and we're like, okay, obviously I'm never going to kill someone, but the reality is, is that everyone in this room, me, you, everyone, with our hearts left unattended, become this way. We want revenge. We want to seek revenge. We want to let that person know that we won't be disrespected. So God puts this law in place. I don't know, go to a judge, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. The punishment has to fit the crime. So you fast forward a few years, and then we're in the time of Jesus. And, and the Pharisees now have this law that's been written, and now they're misinterpreting it. They're saying, no, 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 this, what this is saying is now you have the right to get back at people. Someone does something to you? Do it back to them, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Get back at them. They, they've taken God's law, which was to stop retaliation, and they've turned it into the law of retaliation. 
And so in Jesus' time now, he says to them, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. So what does he mean by that? Who is evil? Well, he's not talking about Satan. He's not talking about the evil one, per se. He's talking about someone who would do evil to you. Literally just an evil person doing an evil act, or just a person doing an evil act. Someone who hurts you, someone who punches you or slaps you in this case. Don't push back when someone does evil to you, is what he's saying. Let God take care of them, whether through the use of the government or, or the church. So that's the intro, and, and, and setting up to these four points that Jesus lays out for us in, in how we're supposed to do this. So often in preaching, um, you get to a text and you have to try to find out, okay, what does it mean? What does it say? What, what does Paul mean? Or what does Peter mean? Or what does Jesus mean? And, and you get the doctrine or the truth of the text, and then you take that truth and then you apply it to, the, to your life, right? So that's what preaching is. You take truth and then you, you're applying it to, um, uh, to everyday life and, 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 and seeing what, does, what do I have to do because of the why? Well, Jesus here gives us the what in these four points that we just read through in these, in these four next verses. He gives us the what. He tells us what we are supposed to do. And so we're going to explore that. We're going to go a little deeper into that as well. But then we're after that, and I think it's in your notes as well, it's, we're going to look at the why. Why is Jesus instructing us to do this. All right, so let's jump right in into verse 39, the second half of it. This is our first point. It says this, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so our first point is this, humbly lose face. To resist retaliation, I will have to humbly lose face. And in a day when we are so obsessed with saving face, Jesus instructs us to lose face. And you know what that, that means, right? Like a saving face, it means you want people around you to think well of you. You want, you want everyone to think you're a good person or that you have certain things or that you got it all together. That's saving face. And he's instructing us here to lose face. And so what is the what? What is the what? What's going on here? And of course, when I say saving face, I'm not saying your actual face because you've been slapped so many times, all right? It's really just this public humiliation or this disrespect, this dignity that's been taken away from you. And even as I talk about that, um, I'm sure there's some people in here that it, that kind of rubs the wrong way. Me included, as I was going through this text, this text just rubs you the wrong way. You, you can't treat me like that. What are you talking about, Jesus? You can't do that to me. We'll get back to that. A slap on the right cheek in ancient cultures and Jewish cultures and, and, and um, Eastern cultures today even, a slap on the right cheek was a sign of disrespect. That's what it was. So if you were slapped on the right cheek, it means the person was taking the backside of the right hand and, and hitting you. And uh, I'm sure you could imagine that there are better ways of actually hurting someone, right? It wasn't really about hurting the person. You could punch them in the stomach, you could do a whole bunch of things, but a slap on the cheek might sting for a second, but it was, a, it was showing that person that you disrespected them, that you, you saw no worth in them, that you hated them, that you hated their ideas, that you didn't like them, that they did something that offended you so much and you slapped them on the cheek. And even in public, actually, there was legal recourse against someone who would do this to you because it was so embarrassing. So that's what the what is, and what does this look like today, okay? Obviously, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't get slapped all that often, even from people that don't like me. 
Maybe you get slapped, I don't know, if you do talk to somebody about that, all right? But usually we don't slap one another to show disrespect. We have other ways of doing that in our culture. Whether it's publicly or privately in person, we use our words. And even in a day when half of our social interaction is behind a screen, we, we type our words and we use our words and sometimes to hurt another person, to degrade them, to, to show everyone else that they're nothing or to show that they're silly or stupid or, or whatever. But I would hope that as the church, we would never be on the giving end of this, or at least we'd be increasing and growing and not being on the giving end of this. And if you look at the text, it says, if anyone slaps you. So as the children of God, it's really talking about you receiving this disrespect, not talking about giving it. But when you are slapped, when you receive this disrespect, turn the other cheek. Let them hit you again. Just a little side note here, just have to... Be so careful with this. I want to make sure that, you know, th- this is really talking about disrespect. This isn't talking about abuse. This isn't talking, you know, if you're at home and there's spousal abuse going on, and just as Pastor Paul said like two weeks ago, um, you know, call the police, all right? Call, call the police. Let them deal with that. Don't just turn the other cheek. That's not what it's talking about. Just let them hit you again. That's not what this means. This is a, a sign of public disrespect. It's taking the dignity away. It is, it is being rude and obnoxious to somebody else. That's what it's talking about, all right? So let's have a look at ourselves for a moment. Have we ever been in a situation, I'm sure that you have, um, that may have insulted us or offended us? And... Um, the temptation there is to retaliate. And then you hit me and I'm going to hit you back. And, and how many t- men in the room can say this? I'm speaking to myself here. You know, you're in an argument with your wife, but you have to get the last word in. You have to let them know that you know what you're talking about. You have to let them know that you're right. You can't be made a fool. You, you have to let them know that, that you're smart and, and that's all that is important to you. In reality, we should probably just shut our mouths. How many of you have been in that position? Well, that is the what. Turn the other cheek, but, but why? But why? Well, a common theme through all of these, these four points we're going to go through is that, and what Jesus is saying here, is that no matter what the circumstances, no matter um, how much you've been hurt in that circumstance, you should always be looking for the betterment of the other person. You hear that? No matter the circumstance, no matter how hurt you've been or how much they've hurt you, you should always be looking for the betterment of the other person. This is what Jesus is getting across. We shouldn't be asking, how can I make myself look good? But we should be asking the question, this person that would do this to me must be a hurting person. How can I help them know Christ? How can I help them know Christ? Also, another why is that vengeance is the Lord's. Let's quickly flip over to uh, Romans 12, 17 and 19. You can flip over there if you like. Romans 12, uh, verse 17 to 19. And, and, And Paul says this. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
You see, you see, we don't need to seek revenge. We don't need to retaliate because that's not our job. That's God's job. And he says that he will. Someone does something to you, someone treats you poorly and whatever the circumstance may be, our job isn't to retaliate. Our job is to turn the other cheek. Our job is to let God take care of what God takes care of. And you can see that if, if we put ourselves in the place of retaliation, if we put ourselves in the seat there, we're making ourselves out to be God. And we're not God. He's in heaven. We are on earth. It is God's job to take vengeance. And, and isn't that a relief? Just a little bit? Because really what you do back to a person isn't what, it doesn't come close to what God can do. So leave it in his hands. Let's keep moving in Romans. There's another reason here. There's another point. And in verse 20 and 21, it says this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, um, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good you see, as we return um, good for the evil that we have received, we don't become the evil that we hate. Right? Like two seconds ago, someone's saying all these mean things to you. They're, they're being cruel. They're being rude to you. And, and you're like, I hate this. I hate that this is in the world. I hate that someone's making me feel this way. And then within half a second, you turn around and you start doing the exact same thing back to them. And now you've become the evil in the world that you hate. When you're sinned against, don't become the sinner, he's saying, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Did you notice that little phrase there in, uh, in verse 21 or verse 20 as well? And it says, um, by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And you're wondering what that kind of means? Heap burning coals on his head? What, what could that possibly mean? Well, I think this is what it looks like, all right? So you say, you're in an, this happened to me too many times. People dumping pot coals on my head all the time. Um, you're in an argument with someone, and, and you're getting fired up. You know, this is a point that is really important to you. And, and you start criticizing them because of their beliefs. You start you know, using ad hominem, you know what I mean? When, when you, you say that they're stupid because you don't agree with their beliefs and, and you start saying mean things about them and, and, and you start being rude to them and you're like, come on, man, come on, man, fight back. Fight back, bring it, bring it. Let's do this. I could debate you all day. Let's do this, let's do this. And they look back at you and they go, you know what? You're excellent at debating. You have a way with words that I just, I haven't seen in many people. Can I buy you lunch? And you're like, man, just fight me. Just fight me. And they won't. And by doing that, they're dumping hot coals on your head because you realize now that you're in the wrong. You realize now that you have been the sinner. You have been doing what is evil. We are to be the ones that are dumping coals on heads. <laughs> and you can do this because, listen, this is so important, you can do this because you don't get yourself worth from that person's opinion. Do you understand that? You don't get yourself value, you don't get your worth, your dignity, your, even your humanity from what somebody else may think about you. You see, you have a Father in heaven who has created you, who has redeemed you, who has loved you, who has endowed you with value and worth and dignity, 
And because of him, you are valuable. The second you retaliate, the second you fight back, you're saying, your opinion is what makes me who I am. When you leave it to God, you're saying, I care what God thinks and not what you think. You're giving them too much credit when you retaliate. See, therefore, we don't need to slap back. We don't need to retaliate. We can turn the other cheek and say, hey, take your best shot. Take your best shot. Because I'm not seeking your approval. My Father in heaven knows who I am. My Father in heaven has given me worth. My Father in heaven is leading me. And I'm going to seek what's best for you. Even at the cost of my own reputation. See, when we, when we change our perspective to this, we, we start to become more like Christ. Right? We start to become more like Christ. Because Christ didn't just stand on this mount and preach this sermon and it was just empty words. No, no, no. This was his life. This is what he lived. He turned the other cheek repeatedly. Just like, like think about it for a second, right? He was, he was mocked. He was ridiculed, beaten, whipped, hung on a cross undeservedly. He did not retaliate. And even while he was hanging on the cross, the, the Roman soldiers were jeering him on and saying, if you really are the son of God, come down from there. Save yourself. Retaliate. He didn't move. He prayed for them. He loved them. Do you know why? Because he was accomplishing the will of his father. And how can we now, who serve this king, not follow in his footsteps? How can we now think that our reputation is more important than his? No, no. We lay down we lay down our reputation, we turn the other cheek, we lose face for his glory in our lives. Let's move on in our text, verse 40. Verse 40 says this, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. They sue you, taking your tunic, give him your cloak. So our second point is this, to resist retaliation, I will have to willingly give the shirt off my back. I'll have to give the shirt off my back. And so what is the what? What is the what going on here, right? So the point here in the text is that you have done something wrong, okay? You can see that. It says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic. So it means that they're suing you and the courts have decided that you owe them something, right? So you have done something wrong, all right? And, and he's saying that when they sue you and the courts demand a certain uh, thing from you, a payment from you, give them more. Give them more. Don't just give them your tunic, but also give them your cloak. Uh, the significance here of the tunic and the cloak comes from Exodus 22, verses uh, 26 to 27. And you don't have to turn there, but um, what, uh, what he says there is that if, if, if you take a man's uh, cloak you have to return it to him before the sun goes down. And so that was Jewish law. That was Jewish law, that you could not take away someone's cloak. That was all that they had. It literally says, like, what will he sleep in? It says in Exodus. So it was his lawful right to keep his cloak. You could sue him for all he's worth, but you cannot take a man's cloak. So Jesus here is saying, quite literally, give away what is rightfully 
and lawfully yours to someone who is suing you. That's the what. That's what's happening here. Go over and above what is expected of you or demanded of you by the courts. Uh, today, this really looks quite similar, right? I mean, people have been sued. I'm sure even in this room, we've been sued. And perhaps you're being sued in business or personally or, or whatever it is. And, and in that moment, we have to take a, an, a, an honest look at ourselves and, and, and be filled with integrity like we talked about last week and, and not justify wrongdoing. And, and, and look, okay, I'm being sued here. How can I fix this issue? How can I willingly go above and beyond what is required to me of me and give as much as I can to make sure that amends are made. So that's the what. That's the what. You get sued, give more than they ask. That's the what, plain and simple. Uh, but what's the why? Like, why would I do that? Why would I do that? It's a good question, right? It's a good question. Like, why, why would I do that? Uh, we've gone to court. A judge decided how much I owe this person. It's not even, it's not even me. Like, they said eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They're, the punishment fit the crime. I'm giving them my fair share. They, like, like, why would I give more? It doesn't even make sense. It's not that I'm trying to be, uh, you know, like, cheap or anything. I'm just paying what the courts have told me to. And, and that's a fair, pretty fair question. But let me give you the answer why that's not good enough. Because of Christ's glory in your life. Because of Christ's glory in your life. Let me explain. Maybe you're in business or something like that, personal, and someone sues you, all right? Somebody sues you and you've done something wrong and the courts said you owe them a certain amount of money and so you give them more. You say, I, I owe 10, I'm gonna give you 15. I wanna make sure everything's good. And you know why that is so important? Because one day, you can take them out for a coffee, you can sit down, you can look them straight in the eye, filled with integrity in your heart, and say to them, Jesus loves you. He died for you. You can know him. He's changed my life. Can one person in the room tell me that if you were getting sued and you lawyered up and you got the best lawyer in town and you dragged someone through the legal system and you found every loophole in the law and every way to squeeze them for every dollar that they were worth, that you could come to that person in a month, five years, doesn't matter, and sit them down and say, Jesus loves you? They would look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, right, buddy. If your Jesus is like anything like you are, like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. As we give more, we show to people that our relationship with them is more important than our stuff. We make sure that the relationship is healthy enough that we can still witness to them. We have to ask ourselves that question what is more important to me? What am I more concerned about, my stuff or someone's salvation? My witness to them? Am I killing my credibility? Am I acting like Christ? Or am I acting selfishly? I want to apply this just a little bit further because I'm sure this could hit home for a few people. Um, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there, there might be people here um, in this room, and maybe you're, you've been sued by an ex-spouse, and it was hard, and it was years of, of counseling. It was um, a lot of things that you said you regret and you wish you never said, and things that were said to you that were just so painful. And, 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 and you're going through this divorce proceedings, and, and you're, you're, you're with the lawyers all the time, and you're fighting over stuff, and there's kids involved, and there's the house involved, and it hurts. And if you were to honestly look back and, and just kind of shelf your emotions for a second, and put on the, the glasses of Christ and how he would look at this situation, and you could look at yourself, could you say, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I took too much. Maybe I wasn't Christ-like. Maybe I've killed my witness. And maybe what you need to do is, maybe this is running through your mind right now, you think about if it was that situation or in business or with someone personal, and you need to think right now, Maybe five, 10, 20 years ago, someone, something happened and I didn't treat them fairly and I wasn't generous with them. I wasn't willingly giving the shirt off my back to make sure that the relationship was in a healthy spot. And if you were to sit across the table from them right now, you'd be embarrassed to talk about Jesus Christ. But what a powerful witness it would be. Like what a power, like there was so much power in this. That if you were to just swallow your pride and, 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 and seek your savior and, and go to that person and say, look, I know there's been so much between us. I know that this has been hard for so many years, but Jesus has changed my life. I was wrong. I took too much. I don't expect us to get back together or whatever, but I took too much and I want to give you some back. Can I tell you about who Jesus is? Is that a powerful testimony to somebody? Do you think that that might change someone's life? You think that maybe if we acted that way, we might see more people uh, rejoicing with us in heaven one day? Do not retaliate. Be like your savior who gave you everything. Let's go to the third point here. Verse 41, it says this, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And so here, the point is gladly volunteer my liberties. Gladly volunteer my liberties. And I realize now I didn't think about this till Friday night, but it could have been just gladly go the extra mile. Um, but I'm not that clever. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Has anyone here ever been forced to go a mile? I'm not talking about gym class. All right, anyone forced to go a mile? Like, the answer is probably not, right? I mean, we live in a country where we have liberties. I mean, I checked out the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and we have the right to liberty. No one can enslave us in this country. And so if you were born here, raised here, you've never been in that situation, the answer is probably no. I, I've never been forced to do physical labor of some sort. I've never been forced to go a mile, right? And, 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 and that's, a, that's a great thing. So, um, but maybe this is a good word for the couple teenagers in the room who've been asked to cut the lawn, and it's like, oh, but I'm not whippersnippering, right? Maybe this is for you, it's for all of us, but maybe this is for you. Parents, don't start nudging your kids, okay? Um, so what is the what here? What is the what? So, so Jesus here is actually referring to a very specific Roman law. Um, and, and this law was passed by the Romans, and it required that as the Romans were passing by, they could ask anybody um, that were their, their subjects that they were oppressing to carry their equipment for a mile, 
to give them a break. So th- this is what Jesus is referring to here, that uh, you'd be standing there and a Roman soldier would come up to you and be like, here, carry my stuff. And you'd have to walk with them one mile, right? That's what he's talking about. And obviously, um, you can imagine, people didn't really like this very much, right? These are people that are being oppressed by the Roman uh, government and by Roman soldiers, and now they're being forced to carry the equipment that is oppressing them. So you can imagine that it doesn't go over very well with all of the Jewish people at the time. So their liberty was taken away, and Jesus is saying that after you've completed your mile, do another mile. Give up more liberty. And do it gladly. And some people actually interpret this and see it as go another two miles. Go with one, go another two. So maybe you're going three miles, three times the amount that you've been asked to. But why? But why? That's the what. He's saying one mile, go two. Why? See, Jesus here is giving you the other option. So you have the option to retaliate here. You could retaliate, right? You can imagine there's a soldier that comes up to you. He's all, you know, has his suit on and everything. He's like, carry my equipment. I mean, if you're fast, you can probably just run away. He's not going to catch you. He's got equipment. You know, you could run away. You could retaliate. Or, you know, maybe you do it, but you do it with a grudge, right? You do it, you do it with hatred and malice filling up in your heart, like this Roman guy making me carry his stuff, and you're walking around with him, and, and then you got your Fitbit on, and you're like, that's one mile right there. I'm not going one inch further. That is it. That is my line. I'm done. You give him stuff back, and on the way back, you're cursing him. That could be how you retaliate. Just in your heart, you could be saying things like, I deserve better. You can't do this to me. And you see, as I said, when you choose retaliation, when you choose to not be gracious or to gladly go the extra mile, your heart turns to bitterness. Your heart turns to malice and hatred towards your enemy. The very person that you hate, you become filled with hate. You become filled with pride. That person isn't looking at you like, I wonder who his God is. In the midst of being sinned against, we have now become the sinner. We are to gladly give up our liberties so that we can be obedient to our Lord and testify to his righteousness. So let's just go back to that 14-year-old boy that doesn't want to cut the lawn, all right? Parents ask him, hey, would you cut the lawn? And the response is, no, no, okay, I'm not whippersnippering. And then you get out there and there's like still like lines of long grass every now and then, he did a poor job. And, and, and what Jesus is saying here is the response should be, you know, would, can you cut the lawn please? Of course, of course, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll trim and I'll, and I'll fix the bushes, I'll fertilize, I'll, I'll reseed, I'll put down some soil for you, I'm gonna make sure that this is the greenest grass you've ever seen. Everyone laughing as a 14-year-old son at home, right? That ain't happening. But that's what Jesus is calling us to. What have you been asked to do? How can you go the extra mile? How can you show the love of Christ in what you're being asked to do? How can you be an example of who your Savior is? Let's move on to our fourth, our fourth point here. I generously part with my property. If I want to resist retaliation, I have to generously part with my property. It says in 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And I'm sure you've been in this position before, all of you. I mean, someone's asked you for something, begged even from you or asked to borrow something. And, and isn't it amazing that no matter what part of history you find yourself in, the scriptures are just so applicable? 
So what is the what here? What is the what? It's pretty clear, right? Someone begs from you, give them what they're begging for. Uh, Somebody asks to borrow from you, lend to them. Pretty straightforward and clear. But I know there's a few really smart people in here, smarter than me, definitely, and you're going, no, there's been a few times when I've been asked something and I know I shouldn't give it. So let's go a couple examples, all right? Uh, Maybe that 14-year-old comes back after cutting the lawn so nicely and he says, Hey, can I have the car keys? I want to go for a joy ride with my friends, and it says here in the Bible that if I beg, you have to give it to me. <laughs> no, don't give him the keys. But you have a smart kid. How about this one? Maybe you go over to your friend's house, and you know that they're an alcoholic or that they struggle with addiction, and they're asking to borrow some money. And you know exactly where that money's going. Should you give it to them? Because they've begged from you or asked to borrow? Of course not. Of course not. What, how about this? What if you've saved up 600 bucks and for a single mom in the church who's struggling and, and, and she needs this money to pay her bills, and you've saved up this money and you're bringing it to her, and just as you're about to give it to her, someone else comes up and asks you, hey, can I borrow 600 bucks? I need to fix my car. And you're kind of stuck between two things. You're like, well, I... You know, both are good, but what do I, what should I do? Well, the point here is Jesus is not asking you to throw judgment out the window or to break with sound wisdom when applying this principle, all right? You need to use wisdom. You need to use judgment. You need to weigh the scales of what makes sense. And, and, and the real point of this is that when someone truly is in need, be generous. Be generous to the best of your ability Matthew 6.19 says, and actually we're going to be together in this passage in a few weeks. Uh, um, It says this in Matthew 6.19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. You see, Jesus is calling us to be generous, not to hoard, not to collect, not to um, uh, just grab onto everything that we have or everything that we've earned, but to give it away when the need is there. And, and you might be saying, yeah, well, you know what, we're, we're, things are tight. Um, me and my wife, me and my husband, we've been, you know, we don't make much money. The, 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 we, we pay the bills, but it's, it's really, really tight. We have to be so careful. And every, every year we save this, this little bit of money. And, and over the last five, ten years, you know, we've been accumulating and saving this little bit of money. Are you saying to me, are you telling me that if someone comes and asks for that or, or, or someone comes to borrow that, I should just give it away? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. If, if someone is asking from you, give to them generously. Because you know what happens in that moment? You know what happens in that moment? We prove, maybe to them, maybe to ourselves, but most, like, most importantly to God, that we don't hold on to earthly treasures as more important than the command that God would have us to be generous. We, we don't hold on to earthly treasures and, 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 and act unlike our Savior who was so generous to us. You see, everything that we own, it's not ours anyway. God has entrusted it to us. God is making us stewards of it. And he's saying, everything I give to you is enough. And when someone asks you and the real need is there, generously, generously give it away. Why? But why would we do this? Why would we be overly generous? After all, I mean, and, I, and this has to run through all of our minds, this is my hard-earned cash. These are, this has taken me years to get. And why would I just give it away? 
And this is the big why. This is the big why. As we open our hands to others, we show that we don't worship our property. This is the why. We show that we don't worship our property. We don't worship our belongings. We don't care for things on earth because God has everything for us. He's given us everything in Jesus Christ. We don't need things. We can give them away. And, and even more importantly, we can look at this text, of course, of someone asking us to beg, but the reality is, is we're all beggars. We're all begging. God, would you save us? God, would you, would you give us your Holy Spirit? And of course, God is there open-handed, pouring out everything that he has. Giving the most valuable and precious thing of all, Jesus Christ, his only son to die for us. Giving that, giving that to us. And now how can we, with tight fists, just hold on to our stuff that isn't even ours? Show that we don't worship our property. All of these things, these four things, these are ways that Jesus has given us to not retaliate. Not to retaliate, because when we retaliate, we put our worth in others and not in God. When we retaliate, we put our worth in our things and, and not in God. When we retaliate, we lose our witness. We don't show the grace of God. This is a hard topic for a lot of us because we don't want to part with our liberties or our property and our things but we have received all those things. And God has been so gracious to us. And he is asking, don't retaliate. Be a good witness. Share the love of Christ. And you will be blessed. Would you stand with me? And we'll pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful, oh God, that you do not just give us laws or, or, or words, Lord, and leave them empty, O oh God. But through your son, Jesus Christ, you have fulfilled all things. Jesus, you, you lived this out. You did not retaliate, O oh God. And because of your humility, because of your lack of retaliation, because you were doing the will of your Father, now we can call ourselves children of the living God. And so, O oh Lord, would we take from your example... Would we be changed because of who you are? And Lord, we're so thankful, God, that you give us your word, that you instruct us, Lord, in how to live well and how to live better for your glory and our good. So Lord, we ask that you would be with us as we consider these things. Be with us now as we sing a song in response to your holy name. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.